0: I'm Don Braid for Postmedia and the Calgary Herald. I'm here with Mr. Varco, Chris Varco, across the table here. we got so much stuff to talk about today. First of all, there's the fallout from oil c- price curtailment. Uh, the legislature's rising. Uh, the premier's in, in Montreal uh, saying she can't get to the table. Uh, all kinds of stuff. That New Brunswick wants the energies pipeline. We could go on and on. But one of the most interesting things of all is the consequences of price curtailment. Uh, Good on one side, and we know that the Premier on Sunday said she was cutting oil production by 325,000 barrels a day, and we know there are consequences. There's already economic consequences, but there's other ones that are very interesting and kind of scary. So can you
1: go over that for us, Chris? Sure, Don. So let's look at the upside first. The premier uh, announced, as as you pointed out, that we were going to cut 325,000 barrels a day beginning January the 1st. That is going to affect about 25 operators across the province. They are in the midst of getting their notices right now. Um, And that had an immediate impact upon oil prices, specifically Western Canadian Select. That's the heavy grade of crude that we often use to benchmark uh, the heavy crudes that come out of Alberta. And we saw the differential fall from about 31 dollars last Friday down to about twenty dollars and 65 cents on Wednesday and so what you've really seen is a very quick response from the market and in many ways this is economics 101 cut cuts supply cut production and all of a sudden prices go up um, the government says that they were only predicting four dollars th- right. to th- the differential so this is uh, I, I think you know, a positive. Now, the question is, can this hold over the course of six months or a year? And I think we'll, we'll just have to wait and I, you see. You know, I
0: always thought that four bucks was really modest. Like, it's a really modest goal. And and would they really, if they thought it was only going to be a $4 gain, which would produce a billion dollars in government revenue, uh, if they if they really thought it was going to be that low, would they even have done this? Because, it, you know, the, the gap at that time was almost $40. Even with a $20 gap, it's not that big a deal, right? So, you th- expect it could be long-term.
1: Yeah, you know, most of the analysts seem to think that the $4 was very was very meant to be a sort of a minimal amount of money, uh, but probably more upside. And, and I think we've seen most of the analysts come out and say they think it's going to be substantively more, and that probably the differential is going to be in the low to mid-20s, uh, at least in the early parts of next year, because of this practice. So that that's going to mean m- more money for the government, and it'll mean higher cash flow for the oil and gas companies, which are right now doing their capital budgets.
0: And meanwhile, it's other provinces benefit Saskatchewan and even B.C. Our, our dear friends over in B.C., uh, are the, the, the industry such as it is, also benefits from Alberta doing this on its own. Now, I know that the the, uh, the, uh, the government is not upset that Scott Moe from Saskatchewan did not pile on because it doesn't make any sense for their industry at all. It's, it's so much smaller. It's like 10% of Alberta. And Scott right. Moe did sign that letter saying they wanted to get the whole issue of low prices on the agenda for this premier's meeting uh, with the prime minister in, in Montreal. So you see this evidence of this w- weird and growing co- collaboration between the NDP government of Alberta and conservatives. Scott Moe, mm-hmm. uh, Ford in Ontario is now all four pipelines. Uh, the new guy in New Brunswick is saying uh, that they want to re- uh, reboot energies fat chance of that, no chance of that. Uh, but But it's interesting that she goes in there with all these political enemies and adversaries, including to some degree the feds, and her friends are conservatives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... Just to go back to your, your yeah, question about the, rewar- the about thing. Uh, about the I guess we talked about the rewards. let's talk about the risks. The risks here are going to be, I think, very clearly on the trade front. Now, mm. the government has said, just point blank, we don't think we have any trade issues, whether it's with NAFTA or any trade agreements by cutting production. But there are experts out there, and I talked to one of them, one of the foremost uh, experts on NAFTA, Barry Appleton, who's a lawyer out of Toronto, teaches at the uh, New York Law School, uh, written two books on NAFTA, and is one of the go-to guys when it comes to NAFTA and the energy matters. And he says he thinks Alberta definitely I- has a problem. He thinks they're offside. He said it looks like it's offside. It smells like it's offside. Mm-hmm. And the issue here is whether under the proportionality clauses under the existing NAFTA agreement, because don't forget, the new trade agreement doesn't come into effect for a while, uh, whether under those proportionality clauses, which uh, really deal with restricting uh, output on energy products by governments like the Canadian government or the Alberta government, whether that gets us offside on some of those trade agreements. He thinks Mm -hmm. it does. And I think there's a sort of the legality of the issue, but then there's a real politic of the issue. And the real politic is the fact that Donald Trump right now is busy screaming at OPEC, which is meeting on Thursday and Friday of this week, to to not do anything that's going to drive gasoline prices up. In other words, don't cut your production, just like Alberta did, Mm -hmm. that's going to cause gasoline prices in the United States to go up. What's going to happen if somebody decides to get in his ear about what's going on in Alberta? Mm -hmm. And you know, that I think is a potential problem here. This is the guy who calls himself tariff man. (laughs) So if tariff man decides that he's going to, you know, decide to take a run at the Canadians, maybe this is gonna be something that'll get his attention, maybe it won't.
0: That that makes me wonder if the, the Trudeau government's silence on this, relative silence and relative unconcern, is to try and keep this low on the international radar with the Americans who are watching and try to p- paint this as just a little regional issue so that that very thing doesn't get noticed, because if it does... Now, we have to remember that everybody talks about uh, when Peter Lougheed first curtailed production for political reasons. It had already been done for years, just as a matter of course. In those days, there was no free trade agreement. No, nobody from the states right. was going to challenge challenge that. Now, you mentioned another another risk, too, about companies... Uh, foreign investors and companies. Could you go into that? Yeah, one a
1: bit? so another trade lawyer I, I spoke to said that, you know, there may be issues under NAFTA, under the sort of the energy proportionality clause that I just mentioned, but there's another risk, and that is protection for foreign investors, and that you can't be seen to be discriminating against them in their investments. And this has been an issue which has really boiled over the last 20 years because of NAFTA and other trade agreements. Mm-hmm. And this lawyer thinks that there is a risk. He's not prepared to say how big it is, but he thinks there is a risk that maybe some of the foreign multinational companies uh, that are that are involved in the energy industry could turn around and sue the government which would really be suing the alberta government but more importantly suing the federal government because that's who's named in these in these uh, trade Mm -hmm. agreements including nafta so there's a risk there now just to take a step back the alberta government says look we are not cutting the actual amount of oil going down to the united states we're just cutting the surplus the same amount of oil is going down the pipelines and more oil is going to be going by rail and there's not an issue and canada's ambassador to the United States. David McNaughton told reporters uh, earlier this week that he had a brief conversation with his American counterpart, Kelly Kraft, and there didn't seem to be an issue. So maybe there's no risk. But we won't know, and we particularly can't predict what Donald Trump is going to do.
0: Chris, what about industry response and particularly uh, the biggest companies and everything,
1: how are they responding economically and politically to this? Well, so far the producers by and large are are pretty optimistic and positive about it because as you as we talked about, oil prices are going up. The large refiners, as they have already defined, are not happy with it, and uh, they've, they've made their concerns known. We saw the very first sort of major oil company, Canadian Natural Resources, uh, produce its uh, capital program for next year. And this was really a litmus test for what we might see in the coming weeks as a result of this, they announced that they're going to spend $3.7 billion in capital. That seems like a lot of money. And as I, you know, it it is a lot of money, but it's $1 billion less than what they would consider to be a normal level. Mm -hmm. And what they're saying is they are going to reduce their drilling by 81%. That is a huge cut. That's a lot of jobs in the oil field services sector, a lot of drilling jobs, you know. So that's a significant cut. They did, however, say, the company executives said that if market access issues get resolved and if curtailment seems to work, and they're a big proponent of curtailment, they said that they could add another $700 million to their capital budget next year. Mm-hmm. So that would be important. I think we're going to have to wait and see a few more companies come out though and and announce what they're going to do. Many of them have delayed their plans. Many of them have have two different plans in place because they're not really certain where everything is going to shake out here. So these next few weeks between now and New Year's are going to be very critical for what 2019 is going to look look like and what the employment in the oil patch is going to look like.
0: And meanwhile, you have to wonder, uh, in the the long litany of things when we look at uh, feeling against the oil industry. The Globe and Mail actually made me laugh in a bitter way with uh, this lead on a story. The crisis in Canada's oil patch is threatening to stall efforts by the Bank of Canada to get its key interest rate back up to a more normal level. There you go, Chris. The oil industry is responsible for low interest rates. All you homeowners in Ontario Quebec who've got those damn low interest rates should blame Alberta. <laughs> they actually managed to turn what most Canadians would see as a positive thing, a, a, a stall in their interest rate rise, into a negative thing about the oil patch. And then, of course, we have the good old Toronto Star and my old pal Thomas Walkham, a columnist there, calling for a complete shutdown of the oil sands and not getting quite getting around to mentioning <laughs> that you maybe do just as much good by completely shutting down the auto industry in Ontario. You just wonder where it's going to stop. Just a, a little bit more on uh, the New Brunswick thing. This this new premier of New Brunswick, the conservative Blaine Higgs, right? So this guy gets 22 seats in the legislature. The Liberals have got 21. Now, the Liberals continue to govern because they had been the government. It was so close. So finally, Higgs lines up this little coalition with this new party, this People's Party, which is kind of a quasi-populist party from southern New Brunswick. And they um, uh, and they agree together that they want to revive energies. Now, this is the most fragile government in Canada. It makes Horgan's government look, <laughs> look absolutely stable. So you have to admire the guy for coming out and wanting wanting to go to the Premier's meeting and say, we want to re- revive energies. Meanwhile, the uh, the spokesperson for the new Quebec Premier, Legault, is saying flatly they have absolutely no interest in it. Doug Ford in Ontario says, yeah, we like pipelines. but But the thing is, Chris, it's not provinces that decide whether they live or die. It's It's, private companies here. It's it's people along, it's the the company, of course, but it's also interveners along the route who can bring a lawsuit and just bring the whole thing dead. So I think think you would agree that uh, TransCanada has no interest in reviving Energy East.
1: No, they've got their hands full right now with trying to get the Keystone XL project going ahead. Energy East is, I I would estimate, dead and buried in their view, and there's nothing that's gonna see that revived, and particularly not with the issues surrounding Bill C-69, which presumably, if that project ever did get revived, yeah. would have to go through that process.
0: Well, just to conclude, uh, today happens to be uh, the final day of the legislature, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen uh, legislators legislature sitting where, in the context of the bigger issues, the legislature seemed less relevant. Of course, it always is. They still pass laws, although it hasn't been a very active session. But it's interesting that uh, the biggest thing that happened. Uh, was the price curtailment or the production curtailment right. and the UCP was saying all along that they were going to have to bring in legislation specifically to change a, one word in the Mines and Minerals Act to include bitumen. But when the moment came, the government, which had always said they weren't going to have to, didn't. They did not go to the legislature for one of the biggest initiatives they've ever taken. And it wasn't really necessary politically because the other parties basically agreed. Uh, but they did it through order and council right. and regulation, which uh, it kind of suggests to me what I see going on across the country, which is the fading importance of legislatures in majority government situations. Anyway, that's it for this week, I guess. And uh, we'll be back uh, next Thursday and beyond.